0: Good morning, wherever you are, and welcome to the Book Collector Podcast. Today's podcast is an article written by John Somanes Smith for the Book Collector in spring 2009. It is entitled The Destruction of the Country House Library Sales at Dropmore and Hampton, 1939. Many readers will remember the genial figure of A.N.L. Mundy, the librarian for 27 years of King's College, Cambridge. A bookman of the widest interests, he was a natural choice to contribute an article on the library to the catalogue of the v exhibition, The Destruction of the English Country House, in 1975. He had worked at Sotheby's for three years in the 1930s, employed as a cataloguer. He remembered visiting houses where suitable books were selected for sale, making unexpected discoveries at the back of the cupboards, seeking in vain for some missing volume of a rare work, above all, steeping oneself in the layers of culture represented by any library which has been maintained for several generations. The family might have included an Elizabethan bibliophile, an Oriental traveller, or an antiquary. Each might have accumulated a specialist collection, which had been kept intact and not necessarily used. Munby speculated whether libraries were preserved for their reading matter. He thought it more likely that they reflected the overriding interest the English landed gentry had in the improvement of their estates. This meant that certain standard reference books, such as John Evelyn's Silver or Walton's Complete Angler, would be commonplace. So would Peter Beckford's thoughts on hunting and Gilbert White Selborne. He would expect local country histories, as well as sets of Shakespeare and gibbon, without which no gentleman's library was worthy of the description. A bookselling friend recently asked if I might be interested in a collection of auction catalogues dating from about 1940 through to the early 1970s. He explained that they had belonged to a collector living outside Brighton who had died ten or so years ago. His books and other collections had been bequeathed to the National Trust, who expressed no interest in the catalogues, but installed part of his library in Ham House. The story of Norman Norris, 1917-1991, to 1991, and his bequest is told by Mark Purcell, the National Trust Library's curator in The Book Collector volume 55, 2006, pages 509 to 524, entitled The Library at Ham House. Purcell describes Norris's library as one of the most interesting collections ever given to the Trust, and a fascinating memorial to the destruction of the Country House Library. Norris was an energetic attender of sales during the Second World War and immediately afterwards, and careful to note the provenance and often the prices of his books. His catalogues represent an engrossing period of book trade history and are unusual in their focus on house sales outside London, as opposed to those organised by Sotheby's or Christie's. Such local sales would not have been widely advertised, and some auctioneers might not have had great antiquarian expertise. In the early 1940s, Norris ordered a bookcase from a distant sale room in Wales and, having arranged for its transport, was surprised that the bookcase, knocked down for £5, pounds, had full shelves. Among the books, unbelievably, he found a long run of Elsevier's. He had retained at least 200 catalogues, the earliest from Rushbrook Hall near Bury St Edmunds, the future home of the book-collecting Lord Rothschild, a house that it would itself feature in the v as 1975 exhibition, dates from 1919, before Norris was of age to attend. The most recent, from Stonewall Park, from 1976. Inevitably, they include some from the London sales rooms, of Lord Derby's sale in 1953, and the extraordinary contents of Eton Hall, so familiar to the generation who did national service in 1961. Together, they confirm what a massive redistribution there was of furniture, pictures, books, in fact, of everything that could be collected. No wonder it was a golden period for English antique dealers at every level and that all enterprising booksellers dashed round the country all year with the biggest vans they could afford. The more I studied the catalogues, the more material for research presented itself. Norris had tried to attend interesting sales as long as they were not too far away from home. On the back of notes he had scribbled about books in a huge lot, I found a garage bill for the service of his motorbike. This gave him transport, but he wouldn't particularly have wanted to transport lots of books back after a sale was over, and carriers' bills showed that they would have followed him home. When he sat through a sale, he marked in pen what he had bought and the price he paid. Other? penciled prices, were likely to be estimates for what books might fetch, not the hammer price. This is tantalising, but given the level of prices he noted, a full list would bring tears to our retrospective eyes. When planning this article, I started by selecting two country house sales that took place within two months of each other in 1939. Dropmore House in February and Hampton House in April. The first was the home of the Grenvilles, the second of the Hamptons, and then the Hobarts, whose title was the Earldom of Buckinghamshire. Both houses are in Bucks, with not more than 15 miles between them. Both can be looked up in the recently revised volume of Pevsner, but the first had a serious fire in 1990, and the second was for a while a girls' school and is now fully restored run by the insurance group Hampton as a wedding venue. The sale of Dropmore lasted four days. The catalogue mentions the family's solicitors as Fladgate and Company of 70 Pall Mall. The auctioneers were Fairbrother Ellison Co. of 26 Dover Street and 29 Fleet Street. This auction was neatly divided into two days for the furniture, lots 1 to 654, and two for the library, lots 65 to 1,134. To my untutored eye, the furniture looks very impressive, both sophisticated and grand. Nowadays, it would be awarded a fully illustrated catalogue by Christie's or Sotheby's, and would attract dealers and collectors from all over the world. Lord Grenville, a cousin of the younger Pitt, and himself briefly Prime Minister in 1806-7, to had bought the Dropmore estate in 1792 and had spent until 1818 perfecting his house, his garden and their contents. He had lavished money in creating the estate. For instance, he had part of a hill cleared away to give him a view of Windsor Castle. As he had no children, he left everything on his death in 1834 to his sister, Countess Fortescue's family. A century later, in December 1938, the house itself had been offered for sale as a result of the death of his great-nephew, John B. Fortescue. No buyer had come forward. A price of £80,000 had been suggested for private treaty. It was not until 1943 that the Fortescue heir found Lord Kemsley, one of the powerful newspaper dynasty of Berry, to make a successful bid. The auctioneers prefaced the library section with a brief note on Lord Grenville, and I quote, the statesman, son of the George Grenville, who introduced the American Stamp Act, and brother of Thomas Grenville, whose famous library is now in the British Museum. It is hard to resist a tangential footnote on the latter, which consisted of 20,000 volumes and was valued at the time of his death in 1846 at 50,000 pounds. During the same decade, the library at Stowe was sold for less than £5,000. He had originally bequeathed his books to the Duke of Buckingham, but revoked his bequest in codicil on the grounds that, because his collection had been made from a sinecure office, he felt it proper to leave it to the British Museum, of which he had been a trustee. On the first two days, Norris made no annotations and may well not have attended. Thereafter, there are notes in pencil or ink. There is no obvious pattern to his interests, but he consistently avoided theology, which included parcels of a hundred and three hundred volumes and all the French books. Here are some of the details of his acquisitions. Swift, Jonathan, works, edited by Thomas Sheridan, seventeen volumes, octavo, calf, one pound, ten shillings. Naval Gazetteer, two volumes, Octavo, 1794, Kramer, Ancient Greece, four volumes, Morocco, 1828, and 27 others, £2, 10 shillings. Camden, W, Reges, Regina, nobiles etc., small quarto, half round, 1629, others, £3, 15 shillings. dugdale Sir W, Monasticum, Anglicamum, 8 volumes, 1817-30, History of St. Paul's, 1818, 18. together 9 volumes, Folio, Blue Morocco, 11 pounds, 6 shillings. Turner, History of England during the Middle Ages, 5 volumes, Octavo, 1825, Clarendon's History of the Rebellion, 8 volumes, Octavo, Morocco, Oxford, 1826, and 10 others, 2 pounds. Goff, Sepulchral Monuments in Great Britain, Plates, four volumes, Folio, Blue Morocco, 1786, five pounds and five shillings. Among the books he didn't buy were Sir Thomas Brown, Pseudodoxa, Epidemica, Quarto, Calf, 1646, and three others, three pounds, ten shillings, Curtis, Flora Londiniensis, Coloured Plates, three volumes, Folio, Half Russia, Seventeen seventy-seven, brackets bought by Southern, four pounds ten shillings, a missionary voyage to the Southern Pacific Ocean, quarto calf, seventeen ninety-nine, Jeffreys Spanish settlement of the West Indies, quarto calf, seventeen sixty-two, and twelve others, three pounds, pennant view of Hindustan, four volumes, seventeen ninety-eight, and ten others, three pounds, Barrow. Travels in Southern Africa, quarto calf, 1801. Sparman, Voyage to the Cape of Good Hope, two volumes quarto, and twelve others, £2.10 shillings. This gives a somewhat random cross section of what was offered, both in terms of quantity and quality. Only by reading every page does a picture emerge of what the long gallery, built to house the books, must have looked like in 1830. While viewing the lots, Norris noted various titles for his wants list. Piranesi's Viguti di Roma, large oblong folio, estimated between 8 and £19. Pounds. Bentley's designs for Gray's poems, folio, 1766. Parkinson's Journal of a Voyage to the South Seas. Churchill's Collected Voyages, 8 volumes, 1852. And Herodotus, Geographical System, Quarto, 1800 the auctioneers must have expected most of the bids to come from the professional trade. There was no grouping of subjects, no heavy type for emphasis, and a singular lack of illustration. The travel category was particularly attractive, even if different countries and continents were cheek by jowl, Patagonia next to New South Wales, Iceland to Barbados. The natural history was outstanding, Wallach's Plantae Asiaticae Rariores, three volumes, 1830, John Edwards' Selection of 100 Plates of the Most Beautiful Flowers, 1775, and Duhamel du Monceau, Treatise des Arbres Fruitiers two volumes, 1768, in Contemporary Red Morocco. There was a group of manuscripts, there were some desirable architectural folios, there were first editions of scientific treatises, including Robert Hooke's Lectione's Cutlerianis, 1679, and Masculine on Timekeeper's 1792. Baskervilles were scattered throughout, some black-letter books, presumably gathered from a single shelf, an abundance of French literature, and long runs of standard reference books such as Biographie Universelle in 52 volumes. It added up to an extraordinary family library, scholarly, Wide ranging and for the most part bound in calf. If there were gaps from that rich period of collecting, it would have been in the colour plate area. No Ackermans, Oxford or Cambridge, or microcosm of London, no royal residences. Or perhaps they were kept by the Fortescue family. Only one contemporary binder, Calthurba, was mentioned for his binding of extracts from naval treatises, quarto 1792, but the catalogues may well not have paid great attention to binders' tickets, nor did they mention any interesting provenance, merely noting that the collection carried many different book plates for the Grenville family. The Kemsley auction at Dropmore happened 30 years later, in March 1969. It was taken by Sotheby's over three full days. The 18th century furniture was described as important and was properly illustrated. The pictures included fine portraits by Nathaniel Dance and Joshua Reynolds. Again, the extensive library occupied the latter part of the sale as lot 701 to 1044. As the founder and owner of the Dropmore Press, Lord Kemsley had the long gallery to exhibit his bibliophilia. He owned F.E. Smith's copy of Ackerman's Oxford in straight-grained blue Morocco, and the Castle Howard copy of Dunbar's Poems, 1834, on Vellum. But there is no competition between his library and that of the Grenvilles. Nor is there evidence of the prices. Norris kept the catalogue for comparison, but did not bid. It would be possible to look up individual titles in book auction records, but the prices would bear no relation to any current valuation, and again, would only excite nostalgia. The contents of Hamden House were catalogued by Curtis Henson of 6 Mount Street, working with an auctioneer in High Wycombe. Six days were needed. Wine, pictures, watercolours, engravings, silver, plated articles and cutlery on the 1st, furniture and appointments, ornamental objects, bijouterie and porcelain on the next three days. Contents of the attic bedrooms and domestic offices, plus library of books on the 5th and miscellaneous furniture stored in the coach houses and outdoor effects in garden and outbuildings on the final day. Queen Mary was given a ceremonial private view. Books were not the priority, and there were plenty of them. In the servery, 134 volumes of the Quarterly Review from 1814 onwards, 106 volumes of Blackwood's Edinburgh magazine, 141 volumes of the Edinburgh Review, and 29 volumes of the Gentleman's Magazine. The top floor had a white gallery, where 250 Italian classics could be found, full vellum, 1800 to 10, with an abundance of children's and educational books, plus the first 52 volumes, uncut, of journals of the House of Commons, were they chosen because they covered the period when the Hamden family had made their mark? Tim Munby would have had no difficulty in identifying what was worth taking to London. The single book lots were grouped in a wall bookcase in the library and started with a choice example of early Florentine printing. This was an edition of the letters of Falaris, 17th century Crimson Morocco, Florence, 1475. Near it? was Boyle's New Experiments, Old Calf, 1669. Chinese habits painted by native artists on silk paper, 18th century red Morocco. Foreign field sports with New South Wales supplement in an elaborate contemporary binding by knights. Bentley's designs for Craig's sick poems, fine tall copy in full crimson Morocco. And Bly's Mutiny on the Bounty, 1790 original boards uncut the ring in 1939 would have had a field day the auctioneers had divided a long series of 18th century playwrights in uniform tree calf into five random lots about the room next to an elephant folio album of engravings in full sheep they listed 44 original watercolour drawings, crayon, pastel, etc., etc., views in London and country by Sandby, angling scenes, various towns and villages, a fine signed drawing by Mary Walpole, four wash drawings by Grimm, 1769, of Shakespearean scenes, all mounted in portfolio. It's unlikely that Norman Norris didn't arrive or compete but who were the lucky bidders? That was James Fleming, reading The Destruction of the Country house Library, Sales of Dropmore and Hampton, 1939, written by John Somery Smith and published in the Book Collector for Spring 2009.